The Blaze Podcast by your favorite host, Oyema Daisy. Welcome to this episode of the Blaze Podcast. Today I have in the house Kende Ademi, who is currently a practicing civil and structural engineer with interest in smart buildings, cities, and infrastructure for sustainable living with over a decade of design and field experience. He has participated in numerous projects across residential, commercial, and industrial and urban infrastructure scopes with a focus on value engineering and BIM deployments. As a youth transformation proponent and BIM advocate, he researches and facilitates workshops and training for professionals and firms in the built sector on BIM tools and processes. His practical experience spans such leading organizations as ESHRO Associates, Europe, Nigeria, and KD Prime Group Limited, which he founded. He's also the founder of the Professional Leadership and Advancement Platform ProLeap, which is a premium platform for advancing AC industry professionals. Well, beyond the journey, Kennedy is keen on volunteering and has successfully demonstrated this via engagement in organizations such as TEDx Abuja, Young Engineers Forum of Nigeria, Nigeria Society of Engineers, as well as Nigeria Institute of Civil Engineers and BIM Harambi Africa. Currently, he is a director on the board of BIM Africa Initiative, where he actively commits to digital restoration and Africa wide BIM advocacy for sustainable built industry. Kennedy continues to explore such engineering trends like blockchain, artificial intelligence, and robotics for the advancement of the built industry. He's also an authorized certified instructor and remains an active member of several professional societies within and outside of Nigeria, including such organizations as American Society of Civil Engineers, ASCE, and the Project Management Institute. So Kennedy is quite a vast engineer in the built sector, and it's my pleasure to welcome him to this episode of the Blade Podcast. So the theme of our discussion today is Beyond Design how engineering QC for life cycle preservation can come in, the various activities that come into quality control of engineering. So Kende, how are you doing today? Hello, Daniel. Thanks for having me. I'm quite delighted to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. So how has been your day today? Well, practice has been interesting. Uh, it's been very productive. And uh, of course, uh, engineering is all about solving problems as we encounter on a daily basis. And that is what I'm all about oftentimes. Okay, that's great to hear. So today, the focus of our discussion is mostly on quality control. So I'll be asking you quite a number of questions around this topic. Great. Okay, so the first thing I want to actually ask is how does engineering QC impact the life cycle of built industry assets, like the overall impact? Okay, uh, engineering processes and input constitute the heart of every sustainable built industry endeavor. And the details of these processes go a long way to impact the asset performance and reliability through the life of an asset. Now, every asset is designed for a lifespan, depending on certain considerations like yeah. material position, environmental and climatic interaction, use cases, and so much more. Uh, however, the quality control components of these processes, if not ensured acceptable, can be very costly to clients even users and the societies at large. Uh, an indigenous research in 2020 showed that within the last five decades, built industry assets worth billions of naira have been lost with uh, well over 1,100 fatalities that have been recorded uh, over about uh, 300 reported incidences of building collapse in Nigeria alone. Uh, Lagos wow. accounted for about 58% of that and uh, Abuja also accounted for about uh, 6.45 or thereabout percent of that. Now, uh, these occurrences are not exclusive to Nigeria alone. We've had uh, collapses across um, 
uh, the globe, uh, some in Italy, uh, Bangladesh, Mumbai, even in the US. A lot of things get to play to affect or bring about this kind of undesirable results. Uh, so some of the issues that have been implicated here include uh, substandard construction materials, you have a uh, quackery, you have issues such as uh, structural failures, inappropriate uh, foundations, design failures, premature removal of phone works, you know, so many issues, uh, even corruption and sharp practices as well have a part to play here. And so um, speaking about this uh, quality and these issues identified, then it's uh, paramount that there has to be a way to control them and curb them. And that's why we're talking about quality control in engineering, because we know that engineering affects every aspect of um, an asset in yeah. all cases that can be recognized. Now, um, a particular standard I'd like to talk about here are the sets of the ISO 9000 standards uh, that defines quality control as a part of quality management, you know, that focuses on fulfillment of quality requirements, for example, performance and integrity criteria, competence uh, relating to skills, uh, expertise and qualification, as well as elements such as personal integrity of practicing professionals, for example, that affects key quality control components, you know, such as inspections. Uh, so uh, just quickly, I'd like to talk about the pre-construction phase of projects. You know, so um, at the pre-construction phase of projects, for example, you'll find that there are a number of activities that go in and that affects the output of this built industry assets construction and also their deployment. So one major area is that of field investigations or geotechnical investigations that okay. fix the design stage as an input for engineering judgment and serves as a fact reference also for challenges that might be encountered uh, during use. You know, several investigative tests such as soil bearing capacities, compaction tests, consolidation tests, and others that establish facts around physical, uh, electrochemical properties are crucial here. Now, so what needs to really be looked out for here is the fact that all these tests are designed to establish facts. Now, yeah. else, if issues arise within these tests that are not carefully handled, or if these processes are not carefully carried out, then you have erroneous facts, you have issues that may then affect your design output. Now, also a lot of ignorance pervades these activities, especially as experience with clients' unwillingness to engage uh, professional services. For instance, you find situations where clients either lack the budget or they just don't budget for activities such as geotechnical investigations, you know. And uh, you also have the issues of quackery and lack of access to modern updated equipment, for example, that uh, affect the quality of these outputs. You know, so quality control becomes extremely difficult in these circumstances, and the asset may have been prepared to fail even from start, given that the design oh. is based on assumptions that may later catalyze a partial distress or premature total failure of the asset. I think I also need to touch a little here on outcomes of design details as well. So quality control checks, design reviews, scheme appraisals, and the other crucial activities that are recommended by, for example, ISO 9000 sets of standards, you know, can also help to ensure that quality is met. 
you know, you also have codes such as European codes, uh, the British codes, the British standards uh, come to play here. Finally, I want to mention regarding uh, this uh, pre-construction phase that you have arrangements that have been put in place by governing authorities. Like, for example, in Abuja here, we have the Department of Development Control. We have something similar in Lagos. We also have a Council for Regulation of Engineering. You have professional societies as well. Yet, you discover that these issues are still prevalent in the industry. So that lets you know that a lot of work still needs to be done. We need to be more thorough with how we practice. And we also need to find a way to ensure that standards are maintained and are carried out. It's also important that the services of credible professionals that have working knowledge of review tasks and expected outcomes are the ones that are saddled with these responsibilities of appraisals uh, for approval. That's at the governing authorities check level. Oh, that's great. So it's obvious that it's important to start early to integrate these quality control checks right from the pre-construction stage. So like you mentioned, the, the carrying out such things as site appraisals and all that helps ensure that the whole consideration is taken into place as early as possible. So what then do you see as the key areas of this QC during the construction phase? I mean, when you now get to the site, what areas do you see as the important areas for the quality control checks? Yeah, thank you very much. Quality control within the construction phase uh, goes without saying really, because built industrial assets during their construction phase have a lot of hazards. So it is uh, very important that we engage quality control at this phase because um, it's that point of no return where errors, if undetected, translate to work loss and uh, maybe possible future failure of the asset. I'd like to touch on some areas here as well, uh, like construction materials, work methods, supervision and violation of statutory approval terms here. So okay. speaking of construction materials, uh, they play a critical role in asset life cycle and span because they have a direct measurable impact on the structural integrity and performance of all components of the assets. This includes the mechanical, electrical, fire, and response to external forces as well. Now, if any material failure or failure of construction materials at that construction phase can be suicidal because it translates to unpredictable catastrophic failure. You know, you experience failures that might not be expected, even when the structure is yet to be constructed or before you complete your construction. In several instances, it could also lead to repeating incidences of um, worrisome distress in the structure. Imagine that you have an asset that keeps failing over and over and over again in the life cycle and then you need to continue repairing and fixing. It, it's, it's just not worth it. And this is why numerous global and local standards such as the ASTM, international, the European standards, British standards, Canadian standards, and so on, have been developed. You know, these standards have been developed for materials testing, and also local certification comes to play as well, such as the Standards Organization of Nigeria, if you may. You know, however, we know that all these are not enough. You have standards, you have the SON, as affects Nigeria, but we're still having building collapse all over the place, we're still having deteriorated assets. You're still having assets that live less than half of their lifespan. So um, trust issues here and sharp practices are obvious. It's just clear that some people know what to do. Maybe certain professionals or organizations, they know what is right, but they are not doing them. So you find situations where people continue to use defective materials for construction, 
but many times this is just being penny wise and pound foolish. You know, a peculiar instance of this is the notorious sudden failure of the D Bridge and TA Rail Bridge back in 1847 and 1879, respectively. It's sad that these types of failure still happen till today, where people intentionally use defective materials, probably because of economic gains or because uh, they probably just don't want to consider options or maintain ethics in the profession. Now, we have uh, laboratory test uh, procedures that have been developed as well to check uh, material integrity even before you use them on site. And there are so many of them on your construction project sites uh, that are relevant. You have tests for aggregates, you have tests for even fresh mix of concrete, for example, you have pressure tests for pipe works, ducting works. And yeah. So, yeah. So adherence to standards here matter a lot. You know, test equipment have to be checked, for example, for calibration. Defective materials as well, once they are identified, ought to be declined for use. And such manufacturers should probably be reported and backlisted. And this is one of the areas where I really propose technology to come to aid because uh, as a proponent of technological disruptions uh, i'm key about solutions such as blockchain because uh, blockchain technologies can be harnessed for our industry because you have qualities such as immutability and openness that allows you to be able to track for example supply chain delivery this can be yeah. deployed for smart contracts and you have key players in that industry being tracked any brand that is underperforming can be isolated and, and sharp practices can become really extremely difficult. Technology can also be leveraged in these areas. You know, for example, you have cloud-based solutions such as uh, Manufacturn, SiteAware, HoloBuilder, ESOP and others that can also help to check and ensure that your construction materials, methods and the way you go about your activities on site are not only safe but are acceptable across board. Yeah, I should also talk a little bit on standard publications here as well. I mentioned just now about cloud-based solutions, but this also integrates well with methodologies, your method statements of getting the job done on site. So I'm moving away from the uh, construction materials now to your methods. Your methods also go a long way to affect quality and outcomes that yeah. can affect the performance of your assets within its lifetime. It's important that method statements are developed that are also premised on established standards uh, that establish your quality management systems, your policies, and how you intend to go about delivering value and ensuring that the asset life is preserved as uh, designed. I think uh, also a, a basic uh, scenario here on site is the fact that a lot happens at the construction phase for example, you have situations where the contractors or the clients decide to carry out alterations that have not been designed for and that have not been approved in any case. This is very common and this is one major reason why certain assets fail before completion of their design life. These are areas that need to be looked out for. Another part as well is also a violation of um, statutory approvals as well some bodies or professionals might just decide at the construction phase to you know violate what has been designed for and when they do this they not only put themselves at risk during that phase of the construction but they also put the assets at risk yeah 
Yeah, that's been quite some detailed insights on the application of quality control during the construction phase. I mean, you've talked about such things as um, structural materials being used. You've talked about technologies, you even mentioned some tools as far as even talking about violation of statutory approvals and all that. So that was quite very deep and insightful. But in your own opinion, what do you think clients should look out for in the post-construction phase for preservation and extensibility of built assets? I mean, after the construction now, at the post-construction okay. phase now, where should clients look out for? Yeah, so um, here, I think clients need to be particular about preventive maintenance as informed by regular integrity audits of the assets. So for clients, it's not just enough to be maintenance conscious, but you also should uh, seek the engagement of certified brands. Uh, I mean, professional bodies or organizations that are certified to carry out these regular integrity audits. You, you shouldn't wait until you begin to have distress or begin to see visible signs of failure. Now by engaging trusted ISO certified brands, for example, to investigate and provide assessment on all key engineering bits of the assets, as well as to provide recommendation, the client begins to get themselves in a safer state, if I may. And um, they, they are also helping to preserve the continued performance of the asset as well. You know, clients also need to watch out for signs of distress. This distress might include cracks, leakages, uh, exposed or rusted reinforcing members, rusted steel components as well, serviceability failures. Now, when I'm referring to serviceability failures, I mean those failures that don't necessarily lead to the collapse of an asset, but makes the use of such assets uh, uncomfortable, unbearable. For example, say you're walking at a particular floor level and you can feel the floor vibrating beneath your feet, visible deflection on certain horizontal members as well. Uh, these are serviceability failures uh, that are failures in themselves. And sometimes this gives you a hint that your asset is not performing well. Yeah, these, these signs as well can give indication of possible problematic areas that can then further be escalated to the auditing firm. So if I'm a client, I can watch out for some of these signs and then I can escalate to an ISO certified auditing firm, which really should be. But however, as well, at the point of testing, quality control also still plays a great role. Even after having ensured that you're going about solving these issues or preserving your asset the right way. For example, calibration of equipment and uh, adherence to test standards can help the client to curb excessive spend you know, just in the bid of preserving the assets. So that's basically as against waiting for things to happen. You are trying to detect things even before they happen all the time in the yeah, way that's... of integ integrity audits and all that. Yeah, so that's quite insightful. At least you've taken us through the journey from pre-construction to construction all the way to post-construction. So how does the NUIQC now come into play for life cycle termination of an asset? at the end of life of an asset. How does Yankees now come into play? Great. Thank you for that question. So just to lay a quick background, uh, we spoke about the post-construction phase right now, and that phase aligns with the use of the asset. Now, many things can happen uh, within that phase of use. For example, abuse, right? Abuse yeah. of assets misuse as well you could also have um, external factors coming to play like maybe earthquakes flooding 
fire disasters that can also affect the structure at those points. Now, easing into life cycle termination, uh, it's important for clients to know that there's such a thing as life cycle end because every asset is designed for a span, a lifespan, and the lifespan has to be considered in the use of such an asset. Unfortunately, the truth is that uh, many asset owners, uh, even including government institutions, in certain instances, do not wish to accept this fact. But uh, once an asset lives up to its design life, it is important that it must be immediately assessed for possible life extension, which is an option, or it could be assessed for various uh, strengthening options as well, because you can actually strengthen an asset once it has uh, lived up to it, its design lifespan. As well, okay. you might uh, also want to consider member replacements depending on uh, engineering analysis that may be carried out on such a structure or maybe a total overhaul of um, certain parts of the asset or maybe a complete overhaul. Now, that bit of the complete overhaul, which is the worst case scenario, is when we begin to talk of uh, demolition, right? So uh, speaking about life cycle termination, essentially we're referring to demolition. And demolition works are particularly dangerous because um, it involves many of the hazards associated with construction as well. Likewise, there are several unknowns at the point of uh, carrying out demolition works on a structure. For example, you might not be setting of the existing strength as is, and this actually should be an input for determination of your method for how you intend to carry out that demolition. And so again, you have investigative works that ought to be carried out at this point. It's just not enough for any organization or any contractor or maybe any contracted body to just get their equipment and move to site to try to pull down the asset because it, it needs to be demolished. I think first um, audit should be done, uh, tests should be done that establish facts, for example, like strength, like performance of certain members and all that. This should then feed into the method statement, as earlier mentioned, and then should affect the overall approach. And then um, again, quality control plays a very important role here. So imagine that uh, you're carrying out a demolition work, let's say within a residential area. You know, methods such as how to contain dust, for example, and dust dispersion or any kind of air pollution is very important because it's a level of hazard to people or users around. And so um, you have standards that have been developed in these regards as well. An example of that is the British standard PS6187 uh, 2011, which is yeah. the code of practice for full and partial demolition. You also have a similar code such as the European code, that's the Annex B of Eurocode 1, yeah, that speaks to strict adherence. Uh, that uh, gives a guide that if strictly adhered to can greatly affect uh, the output uh, that's delivery of the demolition process yeah so clients need to be aware of all this and they need to ask questions once they know what they need to ask for or what they need to look out for then uh, they are better positioned to ensure that the process or the way by which they go to either refurbishing the asset or extending the asset life is standard enough to guarantee that they have value for engaging in such an activity. Yeah, so from the discussion so far, it's obvious that we already have a rich experience in the industry, especially when it comes to 
quality control activities. So as the founder of KD Prime Group, what has been your memorable experience in ensuring quality control on projects? Wow, interesting. <laughs> I tell you, there's been a lot of experiences and quite a number of them have been documented because they are memorable. There have been negative experiences, there have been positive experiences as well. There's been a lot of challenges uh, that uh, speak to the firm, uh, KD Prime Group, as is, and that also brings up concerns as regards our society and how we live, especially how we interact with the boot industry. One memorable experience I must share with you, which is quite common anyway, and that's the fact that clients just don't want to commit funding to certain key aspects, right, of their asset. Yeah. Sometimes they tell you they don't have money to carry out geotechnical investigations. Sometimes there are clients that actually tell you to hook up results for the approval authorities. Wow. <laughs> yeah, these are clients. These are clients. These are people that have millions, billions to commit to their projects at the construction phase. But you see that pre-construction phase, every activity that goes in at that phase, they just are reluctant to commit to those. You also have clients that are just not willing to pay professional fees. And some of these things are the reason why sharp practices are, are rife. Uh, another experience I'd like to touch on is the fact that um, when it comes to quality control and certain investigative um, activities, you discover that it's a, will I say, a sweet, sad experience sometimes because sometimes you have this feeling of profiting from a person's misfortune, kind of, I, I put it that way. Say you have a client that has just had his asset gutted by fire. And you just have to be the professional to get there to establish the integrity of structural members and you get paid for that. So why you actually should be full of empathy for someone who has just lost valuable assets, you, you actually find yourself uh, submitting invoices and probably even providing payment terms <laughs> that has to be adhered oh. to or you can carry out these uh, activities investigative. So those are just some experiences here and there. You know, and I think I also need to touch on the fact that practicing in a country like Nigeria is also very interesting. There are challenges that are very unique to this space, especially in our industry, and a whole lot has to be improved on as well, I, I must say, especially the way with which um, different stakeholders within the industry collaborate to get results. For example, a major error or issue with your asset performance can arise from the fact that stakeholders like architects, structural engineers carry out pre-construction activities like design in isolation. So when you carry out design in isolation, you discover that uh, coordination will be lacking. And then at the point of construction, the contractor might be forced or might just decide to begin to place certain members wrongly. When things like this happen, it affects the integrity of the structure it can affect your asset performance and assets might fail or be prematurely terminated just because of issues and errors like this. And so these are areas that I'm keen about and that I've had experiences with and that I uh, also thought to share. Yeah, thanks for sharing your experience. Obviously, as stakeholders in industry, we all collectively have roles to play, both the professionals, the employers, and everybody that contributes to the delivery of built assets in our industry. So before we move further, I also like to ask you some very random questions, actually. 
Okay. So I have two questions to ask. Help that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the first question I have is, what's your favorite pastime? I mean, outside of the whole tech, engineering well, and all that, what do you do? Thank you. Yeah, I was, I, I'm, I'm really happy about this question because it takes me off uh, racking my brain and thinking so much uh, of solutions like I do a lot um, for within engineering practice. So my favorite pastimes are the number of sports I'm interested in. I play table tennis. Um, it's it's one of the sports I love a lot. I play that volleyball as well. I love watching tennis. Very nice, lovely game. And um, I must mention as well that I like swimming. I like swimming. Uh-oh. I like reading as well. You know, but uh, football doesn't make that list so in case you're wondering no no i'm not a fan of football but uh, <laughs> that's what maybe <laughs> yeah well i'm not i'm not so surprised i myself i'm not a huge fan of football oh great well <laughs> uh, so, it's okay so yeah that's great so the next question i now have is what are the top three travel destinations on your list because i know that you also like to travel from time to time Yes, I like to travel, but I like to also think that my travel is influenced by work opportunities that can translate to growth and also exposure, you know, because engineering, you need a lot of capacity and competence to practice engineering. So exposure is very keen here. And so I like that on top of my list are countries that are well developed or that are pushing the frontiers of technological adoption in the 21st century you know locations such as uh, the uae uh, makes really, really makes the top of that list i like the fact that they are very open to technology i'm also interested in the fact that they have been able to find ways to adapt technology to the well-being of their citizens and also the growth of the built industry within that space i also like certain locations like japan uh, you know i've read a lot about japan and uh, that's just somewhere i like to travel to because uh, it's just uh, the things i see uh, with respect to technology and how it affects us yeah. is really awesome i like to travel there and one region that i really like to explore is africa i'll tell you why africa is the future and i, I believe a lot in africa and the potentials within so my travel in africa will really be guided by the fact that i'll be on the lookout for opportunities opportunities to transform the continent and opportunities to add value across board so um all the countries in africa <laughs> make my top travel. <laughs> so, yeah thank you yeah that's quite insightful at least um places like uae japan they really try to use technology to really reshape the way they live and you know, enhance their life generally. And of course, Africa yeah. is also an emerging market, which I believe we'll see a whole lot of drastic development in the coming years. That's correct. So, yeah, so it's been quite an insightful and a rich discussion with you. So before we run up, I'll try to summarize everything we've discussed. So okay. basically, the, the theme of discussion has been around political control activities across the delivery life cycle of projects. So it started with the pre-construction phase. And one of the activities you mentioned is investigations and you know site inconsistencies, such as geotechnical investigations and all that. And then at the construction phase, you also mentioned such things as civil and structural materials QC, 
which has to do with tests on aggregates, water, steel, cement, and the likes. And then you also mentioned uh, civil and structural, things like mixed ratios and consistencies, skill level of resources, and so many things that you mentioned during the construction phase, even such things as the technology you mentioned, such tools as smart videos, IO, sites aware, hollow builder, and the likes, as well as such things as change of use and violation of statutory approval terms, and so many things, which was quite very insightful. And after that, you now talked about the post-construction phase, where you talked about such activities as routine maintenance and structural integrity audits, response to hazards, things like fire, ground movement, and so many of them. And then after the post-construction phase, you also talked about the asset lifecycle termination phase, which we now talked about such things as reconstruction versus asset life extension. You also talked about material salvage and so many things like that. And then after that, you also shared some of your experience in the industry when it comes to applying all these activities to projects, which was quite very rich and insightful before when I talked about you know, your past travel destinations and all that. So it's been really an awesome discussion with you. But before we round up, I don't know if you have any other contribution, maybe an advice to young professionals or even government or anybody in the industry, or maybe even employers and whatnot, any contribution whatsoever that you want to add before we round up. Yeah, so uh, many inputs, I, I must say, if, if I'm given the opportunity, I'll keep talking. But uh, just to emphasize on one key area, and that is uh, ethics of practice. I like every professional out there to challenge themselves to do things right within practice in the beauty industry. Challenge yourself every day, uh, get knowledgeable, advise your clients, turn down opportunities, especially opportunities that try to push you to, you know, non-adherence to global standards, you know, uh, there is, yeah, there is this saying out there that every nation, every continent, every people, you know, showcase their values by the kind of results that they deliver, that they give out. So if we continue to have issues here and there within the industry or we begin to have uh, so many uh, underperformances, especially with our big industry assets, then uh, it falls back on us as professionals. And so we just have to keep being proactive. We need to push and ensure that the right thing is done. Uh, one more thing as well is that we must try out there to eliminate quackery, both from the client end and also the practice or the user ends, and as well as the professionals that kind of exist in the divide between the two. We just need to ensure that we eliminate quackery, ensure that you give opportunities to the right people because you will also be doing yourself a favor by so doing. Yeah, yeah that's quite very true. And I think to even add to that, such things as even using licensed software on projects, Correct. It, it will even help to solve some of these issues because yeah. if all of us use licensed software, I also believe that it will reflect on the fees that we charge on projects and it also helps to guarantee uh, the quality of the projects that we deliver and all that. So Absolutely. really, I believe that uh, collectively as professionals and practitioners in the industry, we all have a role to play to ensure that I mean, the quality control is always in place for all our projects. Excellent. So, Thank you very much for having made out your time to share your knowledge today. We're really grateful for having you on this episode of the podcast. It's been an honor to have you. I also look forward to having you in subsequent episodes to you know discuss a whole lot more things. Thank you very much, Daniel. Honor. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. 
and to you the listener don't forget to subscribe to this channel so that whenever we release a new episode you'll be notified so i'll see you in another episode the blaze podcast by your favorite host Oyema Daisy.